Yeah, Sand Island's pretty very similar in the fact that you you have a job. You have to, if you get you get it easy for the first month. They're like, don't mess with this guy. Like he's 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 having a hard time. But after that, you slowly they, they have job. You you can be cleaning bathrooms. You can be working in the kitchen. You you pay your way through with what you can. Um, but they also take people. They take a lot of inmates. A lot of people straight from prison that are converting uh, a open fiber, open tenure sentence, and and they the judge allows them to basically wash that away with a two-year clinical discharge. So you get a lot of guys coming in there for the wrong reason. They're just trying to get off paper or get out of jail. But then I can't tell you how many guys I've seen. I can't, I'll, I'll finish this and I'll tell you why it's important. I can't tell you how many guys I've seen come in with the wrong intentions and change their life, lives around. The reason that's so important is that's changed my whole perspective that a person needs to want to be ready to get help. I've seen people that had no interest in, in changing their ways whatsoever. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Hey, this is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Sorry about that little delay there. I got caught caught slipping there. Uh, if you're first time listening or watching, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us this evening. Got a great guest for you. First off, if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button in the corner and thumbs the video up. If you're watching on Facebook, go ahead and give it a share and a like. I'd appreciate that. If you're on the podcast platforms, which this will be airing in a few days after this, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It's definitely going to help me to be more visible on the podcast platforms themselves. Uh, if you want to support the show in any other way besides that, uh, you can go over to the Patreon and be a subscriber over there. I've got a few different, um, oops, hold on. Yikes. Didn't turn that down. I've got a, a few different levels there, tiers. It's one, three, four. Five and ten. Uh, the $3 tier is actually where you start getting uh, episodes that are uncut and unedited, and you get them first before they go out to everybody else. That's a great one as well. Uh, and if you're on iTunes, do me a favor. I have the hardest time, and it's not that people haven't done it, it's just getting rate, ratings and reviews. Uh, for the show on through iTunes is really important. And if you're a listener of the show and you have an, I, an iPhone, do me a favor and go over to my iTunes uh, page and give me a rating at least. And if you want to give a review too, that'd be great. I'd really appreciate it. 
So my guest today is Jordan Barnes, and he's the author of One Hit Away, which is a book about his life as a heroin addict. So let's go ahead and get him in here. What's up, Jordan? Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Good, Sean? good. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks for coming and hanging out and uh, being willing to share your a little bit of your story. We're not going to get all of your story because then we give the book away, but at least enough of, of it to uh, you know get us started. Well, I have no problem giving the book away if it helps someone. I've done that a few times. and <laughs> But you're right. It's definitely, uh, obviously, I'm here and I'm alive and I'm doing well. So it is a book of recovery. That's the main intent. But um, yeah, definitely. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me and uh, happy, happy to talk about recovery. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Recovery. There's a lot of different parts to recovery. I think uh, it's changing from what I'm seeing, uh, what, what that actually is. I mean, I think about 10 years ago, recovery had a real, real hard line as to what it was, right? Um, yeah, for sure. At, 100% abstinence, uh, you know, none of the medical marijuana stuff, uh, edibles, you know, all of that other uh, different types of modalities. Those those really didn't exist then or were frowned yeah. upon if, if, if you did come out publicly that that's what you were doing in the rooms. Yeah. Um, now it's a little bit different. You know, people are a little bit more tolerant, you know, and, and what I'm gathering from, you know, the, the climate of the people that I've talked to is, Hey man, if that's what works for you, by all means, I'm not judging you. If, if, if at least if you're not on your drug of choice, which was me, methamphetamine, which I haven't touched in over, you know, since 2010. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if microdosing THC or psilocybin works for me, then, and it doesn't affect me in any other way. And my life is still, at a, at a level at which I can function and be productive and happy. Most people are going to tell me then, Hey man, more power to you. For sure. I think you're, you're totally right. I mean, I got, I walked into a two year long-term inpatient treatment program back in 2011. So that's about a decade ago, sort of what we're talking about. And I will say that for myself personally, I haven't done any, uh, any minor mood altering substances since, and it's worked well for me. But on the same hand, I'm in agreement with you that I believe recovery is as personal as it gets. I, it, it makes me sad when others are so judgmental to other people and they're so shut down and think that their way is the only way. And I think that that does a lot of damage to not be open-minded to the fact that there is a mental health crisis going on with not just meth and not just heroin, which is my drug of choice, but with, a lot of addictions out there, including sex addiction, ga- all of these, all of these addictions that can really damage someone's life. And to think that there's only one way out, I don't see why we would say we we can't use all the tools that are available. And I think that you can do a lot of harm by pushing people away. And I know that there's some programs that drive a hard line. For example, uh, Matt, you know, Matt, Matt, uh, Medical assisted treatment. I think that's what it is. <laughs> but it's basically like Suboxone or, or anything that, that helps an, a, a heroin or opioid, opiate addict move past that. It's a tool. And I don't use it for myself, but I am also a product of a, a program that I went to where it wasn't an option for me to do that. They were the hard line clean from all, all substances 
all the time, no matter what. And so that's sort of when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And that's, that's sort of defined my program. It's worked for me. I know it hasn't worked for others. And, um, and that's, that's just life. I mean, I, there's a lot of judgmental people out there and it's a sensitive subject. People are very, especially the people that are, have been doing something for so long, they're very set in their ways and they're not necessarily receptive uh, to other options that are out there. And I don't think that's necessary. I think that technology is changing. We, we There's now recovery related apps. My cousin uh, works with a, the first uh, FDA approved app for therapy for for opioid opioid mm-hmm. addiction. I mean, like these, there's new technologies coming out all the time. And that's not to put, put a slant on AA or NA or other programs that are out there that work well for a lot of people. But, you know, I would never be so callous to say that it's my way is the only way, only way out there. Um, Cause I, I, I don't believe that it's just, it's what works for me. And frankly, what works for me doesn't, doesn't matter to me what works for you. And, and hopefully it doesn't matter to you what, what works for me. And I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, and, and like I said, it it's like, I didn't get to that point, like right when I stopped doing everything that I was doing, right. It, I stopped doing everything and I remained abstinent from everything for a long period of time. And as I went through my process, I started adding different things into it because I was finding that different things were not working for me. And, you know, like my, you know, I was depressed maybe, or, you know, I had anger and, you know, still coming up and and stuff like that. So I I would add different uh, things that I would, here, you know, through listening to other podcasts, listening to like Joe Rogan and, or any, yeah. any other of these, uh, Sam Harris, uh, you know, Paul Stamets, you know, all the people that I, I listened to and I started just trying things on my own and found what kind of worked for me, like my blend. Um, I would not suggest doing that straight out of treatment, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's, right. that's, you know, or muscular treatment. <laughs> yeah. Or still, still in there, you know, cause when you get sober, it's, you know, I, I agree with this one, this one saying when they talk about in the rooms, you know, like, what is it? It, it gets different. Life gets different. Yeah. You have to, you have to learn how to, yeah. to occupy your time and be around different people, be around different things that actually Definitely. bring meaning to you and learn how to live within the framework of, of the life that you're trying to build for yourself. And, you know, I definitely uh, agree with that. So um, let's talk a little bit about the long-term treatment that you went through, because I'm a firm believer that if you're going to do it, uh, the long-term route is the most effective and most successful way of doing it. Yeah. So, um, well, I don't know. I don't know the stats off the top of my head. Uh, I do. I have heard that voluntary versus coerced treatment, there is no benefit either way, meaning if you're sent to treatment by way of parole or probation or drug court or stop court, you know, you're you're not more likely to be successful in long term recovery than if you go voluntarily, which people would think people that go voluntarily would because they're going on their own uh, admission. Now, I have a, I have an interesting, I had an interesting pathway into treatment. I didn't necessarily know that I I didn't know I was going to a two year long-term inpatient program. I was running from a problem in Portland. I had a friend that overdosed and died uh, in his sleep next to me. And I woke up next to that. And after a few months I was leaving Portland 
And I was just running. I had some help from my parents that got me to Sand Island Treatment Center, which is my home group. It's in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. But I was running and I had felony warrants and I had cops looking for me. And I just had a lot. My life was a mess. It was there's nothing good going on. So I was leaving one issue and I was willing to go somewhere else. And I I didn't really know where I was going. It was basically the only program that my parents knew about. And it was close to where they work. It was just a couple blocks away from their factory. And they took me in. And so that's how I ended up there. And I didn't know it was a two-year program. And I, I freaked out when I got when I got in there. I was I didn't I didn't think it was possible to get clean. I didn't I didn't believe it. I I honestly believed I was destined to die a junkie, and that was my mentality. It was super toxic thinking. But over time, I over time you see you see other people going about their life and going about their business and people making gains and changes for the better. And eventually, it took it took a while. Eventually, I realized that that was something I wanted, and it took a long time. I mean. We talked about this briefly before we started, but short-term programs, uh, again, we need, we need all the tools. So I'm not going to put one down over the other, but I will say that my experience at, at, at treatment was that even with the medicated detox, I didn't sleep for the first 30 days. I didn't. I, it was, it was, I was a wreck. I wasn't eating much. I, I showered as many times as I could a day because I just felt like I was dying inside. There, I wasn't receptive to any sort of healthy influences either way i was just trying to not hate hate life and it took me a long time to get through the post-acute withdrawal symptoms and when those slowly fell to the wayside that's when i started to be more receptive to the fact that maybe this was an option but the mental turmoil was there the physical turmoil was there and i'm just really fortunate that i was in a place where all of the staff had gone through the program themselves and their fellow addicts that i could look to and they could say you're going to be okay you're you're going to get through this, hang in there. It's not going to be easy. We're not going to lie to you. It's, but we know what you're going through. We did it and you can do it. And, and it worked out. And that's um, still my home group to this day. I'm very fortunate that after I got my clinical that I can still go back there. Now, COVID's kind of shaken things up a bit. So because they're a residential inpatient treatment facility, understandably, they've had to close their doors to outsiders, including graduate graduates like myself. So I I haven't gone back in a year, but as soon as all of this passes and they open their doors, that's my support system. But we all have cell phones. We can, I can talk to my counselor anytime. They're always a phone call away and it's turned into a wonderful, wonderful um, part of my, my life. And I love the fact that by writing this book and sort of explaining my journey through that, people get a glimpse into what long-term inpatient what one long-term inpatient program can look like because it's, it's scary. I'll be honest. Like people don't, it's hard to imagine walking away from everything you have, even if you have nothing, right. It's hard to imagine just like changing everything and going somewhere where that's your new home. And this is your, you know, your all new friends, all new. It's a lot, it's a lot to take in. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long, you know, a, a two-year program gets broken down into sizable chunks. You start off early and blackout, then then uh, intensive, and then slowly you move to transition where you're working and you're leaving and working a real job and coming back. And it, it feels more like you're a, a member of society and slowly you get more freedoms and you get home passes. So it's not like it's not like prison where they, where you can't leave, which <laughs> sucks, right? Like uh, it's not like that, but um, it, 
but that's what some people need. And that's, and that, that's what, that's what worked for me. And, and I'm fortunate I had the opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I actually went up to a, a, a program in Utah called yeah, the, yeah. the Other Side Academy. And that one is 100% free. And yeah, and it was a hundred and it was, they're self-funded. They don't take any grant money or anything like that. They produce all of their own funding from their social enterprises, which the students actually work at. So you're working for your stay, basically, you're not, you're not getting a handout. So it's not free. You have to work in their, in their social enterprises to, to kind of, you know, pay for your stay there. Um, But, you know, it's a, it's an amazing concept because you're not only teaching them how to become accountable for their own behavior and how to change it, because in a prison setting, you, I mean, the only way that you can change somebody's behavior or assist in changing someone's behavior is being able to call that particular behavior out as it happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't do that in prison. You know, there's, there's, you know, the, you'll end up somewhere you don't want to be. If you start trying to call, <laughs> call out somebody, you know, to be there, you know, Hey man, you're being manipulative, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I, that's why I feel like it's, it, they're so successful and it's pure run. So there's no professionals there whatsoever. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, it's all peer run people that have been through the program before and the ones that that move on to become counselors or or not counselors but uh former students and and people that are working there are like their star pupils, right? So yeah. they're people that, you know, went through the program with flying colors and you know are are the example of of that they're usually ones that stay on and, and continue to, uh, you know, give back and, and work for it. So uh, whatever they're doing in Utah, man, check it out. It's working. You know, they're doing 80% success rate up there, uh, which is, which, yeah, which for a treatment like center therapeutic community, that's, uh, those are good numbers, man. Yeah. Those are super high set. Yeah, Sand Island's pretty very similar in the fact that you you have a job after you, you get you get it easy for the first month. They're like, don't mess with this guy; like he's is, he's is, he's having a hard time. But after that, you slowly they, they have job. You you can be cleaning bathrooms, you can be working in the kitchen. You you pay your way through with what you can. Um, but they also take people. They take a lot of inmates, a lot of people straight from prison that are converting uh, a open five or open ten year sentence, and and they, the judge allows them to basically wash that away with a two-year clinical discharge. So you get a lot of guys coming in there for the wrong reason. They're just trying to get off paper or get out of jail. But then I can't tell you how many guys I've seen. I can't, I'll can't. i finish this and I'll tell you why it's important. I can't tell you how many guys I've seen come in with the wrong intentions and change their life, lives around. The reason that's so important is that's changed my whole perspective that a person needs to want to be ready to get help. I've seen people that had no interest in in changing their ways whatsoever over time eventually like see like oh wow this is like much better than like having the cops show up at my place and this is much better than going in to see my PO every week and and people make that shift and you never know when it's going to happen um my other comment would be that they also take they take clients and bump them up to interns and then eventually staff sometimes it's their star pupils i've seen them take the worst clients and say you're a special case get in here we're going to we need to you need a lot of attention and so i've seen them go both ways where they'll take someone that maybe is rough around the edges and be like look we're going to we're going to work this out we're going to we're going to do something positive here really cool 
really cool. So let's circle back because we kind of skipped over. We went right into <laughs> yeah. we, we went right right into the treatment center and forgot all about the you know the path to it, right? Yeah. Um, so that, it's sort of my life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so let's uh, let, let's let's go back a little bit, and sure. uh, you know, I I don't know if if your friend dying was you know that pivotal moment for you. Uh, we all have it. Um, you know, in our past, if we're, if you've struggled with addiction and trying to, you know, stop it, uh, for me, it was 18 years. Um, and you know, I I know exactly when that, I know exactly when that moment was when I'm like, this is enough. What was that one for you? Well, I'll tell you, um, I opened my book with this because I think it's really important. I opened it with the scene of me waking up to my friend's death and, and what I did, after I shared because it's something that I didn't want to take to the grave with me. And that's, I rifled through his pockets for dope. And that's where I was in my addiction. And I think that that's, I think it's, it's a horrible thing to sit, to admit to, but it also kind of defines how much an, an addiction, like an IV heroin, cocaine addiction can, can take from someone. It can take everything, including your, you know, I, I wasn't a bad person. I really did like my friend, but I also had this beast to feed. And it wasn't it wasn't a pivotal moment either. At least it wasn't immediately. I went right back. Like I said, I went right back to using and it took a few months. But I think that I think that over time it, it ate away at me and it and it it got to me. And I also I struggled with it because I was using. And so I wasn't able to process the emotions of what had happened. I didn't go somewhere and ball my eyes out. I didn't go somewhere and, and process and deal with it. And that's, that was super unhealthy, but eventually that was something that I later dealt with in, in the treatment program because it was really, it was really impactful and it was a devastating moment uh, and a very tragic moment to, to live through. But I've had I've had lots of those moments. I've had those moments in active addiction, and I've also had those moments in recovery. Just a, a few, just just recently, like a year and a half ago, I was the one that found my brother had drank himself to death, and I did a welfare check and found him dead in his kitchen with his head in the fridge. And I'm I'm sober, and it was like my I love my brother to death, and it just gutted me. But these are all like tragedy is going to hit you when tragedy hits you. It's not like you get clean sober and you're, and you've got like a armor on that's going to prevent these things from coming your way. I mean, that's, that's not what I expected. No one ever told me that. And, and it was really, really difficult to process that. Cause I don't have a, I have a support system, but that's it. I don't have a, a backup plan. I don't have something to turn to, to, to ease my emotions. I feel everything for what it is. And it's, it can be really, really tough. Um, yeah, there's no sun. There's no sunshine. Uh, no. Sunshine and butterfly filters. No. Uh, that you know that there's none of those in life, right? You know, it, no, it happens. Life happens, and you got to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Um, you know, so what? What do you do now? I mean, have you identified what your triggers are and kind of what to do when they come up? Um, I mean, I worked on that a lot in in. Okay, this is like one, I don't want to do more harm than good, but I worked on this a lot when I was in early recovery mm-hmm. and in the program and we focus on studying triggers and, and what can set you off. The truth is, the truth is that 
my besides like what I just talked about and the and the like the trauma that comes my way that's abnormal to my daily life. The truth is my life is pretty containable and it's pretty mm-hmm. easygoing and I have a lot to live for and I've got a lot of uh, energy and and desire to pursue things that excite me. So I really don't feel like I am. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I'm invulnerable to triggers, but I, I just, I don't, I don't have that sort of stuff in my life today. I don't have things or people, or if I do, I get rid of them that I think will set me off. I just, I don't, I have like a wonderful, I have a new baby. I've got a beautiful wife. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm helping others with my book. There's things like going the way I've always thought that they should go or wanted them to go. Uh, but I also don't necessarily put myself in situations that set me up to encounter those triggers to begin with. A lot of that has to do with the fact that I made a geographical change back home to Hawaii when I left Portland and heroin is much more rampant in Portland than it is out here. Here it's meth. We have a, we have a, a meth epidemic, but that's not my drug of choice. Right. So I don't really have haunts and people, or I don't run into old friends or ghosts from my past. I, I just, I don't, I built a life in recovery, the life I wanted and, and, I'm, and it's working out pre- pretty good. Now, again, that doesn't work for everybody. Some people have to do, some people have to be like plugged into a circuit day in, day out. Good. If, if that's what you need, do it for sure. If that's what, if that's what is going to get you to where you want to be in life, do it. Like that's, that would be my suggestion. If, if you care about what I think about what you do, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you, you answered my question and it's basically kind of the same thing that I do. It's, you know, I know, I know where I need to be and where I don't need to be. And, yeah. you know, if I'm feeling, vulnerable for whatever, whatever reason, you know, relationships, you know, tend to do that. Right. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not single, so you don't have to worry about that. So you've already got that covered. You don't have to worry about, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the single life or, or bad, you know, relationships, you know, or toxic people, stuff like that. Um, yeah, you just have to really, you know, kind of prepare and, and, and not, not let yourself, get into situations that could be detrimental to you and your, your, your sobriety or your, um, you know, your abstinence, you know, however you want to put it. Now that's, that's part, that's a huge part of it because in the, in the past relationships have been an issue for me. And so I knew I wanted a healthy relationship. I knew I wanted to be in a relationship with someone that wasn't in recovery. That's just, I, I just thought that that would be a good idea at the time. So I wasn't looking, I wasn't looking for, to find, uh, a girlfriend or future wife through the pro I didn't, I just didn't want that. I wanted someone that didn't have like a lot of the issues and baggage that I had. Cause I thought that that would be potentially a recipe for a disaster. And so I, I knew that early enough to make that like thoughtful decision when I was starting to date again. And I actually, I actually would turn away from, I'd go on a, a date with someone. And I'd be like, this is not going to work. I went on a date with a sommelier and she's like, Oh yeah, I'm a sommelier. I like, I like, I dream about wine and like, I have a big like vineyard map on my wall and I'm like, cool. Like we're probably not going to work out. (laughs) But but then again, my, my wife drinks and that's not an issue. I don't have to like, I'm not like, I guess the word would be like super sensitive to things like that. Like I don't have issues going places where people do things that people do. And I don't think that people need to change who they are because of any issues I've had in the past. 
Um, so you don't yeah. feel like you're at that Mogwai status yet where, you know, you have, <laughs> where you got to be careful to, you know, don't, don't, don't get them wet after midnight. Don't eat it. Don't feed them <laughs> after midnight. I always, I always felt like that, you know, when, when I first got sober, it's like, you know, and I didn't want people to, you know, don't change what you do because of me. It's like, I have to adjust to you. It's like, you don't, yeah. the rest of the world is not, it's not up to the rest of the world to adjust to me. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm way happier this way. I imagine. than if I expected other people to like bend to my wants and needs, because there you're always going to be disappointed when you set unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on others. And I mean, it just makes sense. I think it's, I think it's logical. It feels logical. It's been working out. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the book. What was the process like? What, uh, you know, what, what drove you to want to write a book? I mean, that's kind of a big task. I mean, I've tried to sit down and do one a dozen times and just never ends up working out. Yeah. You know, I'm not like one for big motivational sayings, but you hear, you know, in recovery, they say like one day at a time. That's how a book is. It's like one page at a time. Like it, it, it really is a slow grueling trudge to get to a goal, but you have to have the motivation to do it. Like 80% of Americans want to write a book. There's some crazy statistic, like everyone has a story to tell and everyone wants to tell it. Should they tell it? I don't know if, if you feel like you should tell it, go for it. I basically, a, a few years ago, I have a very, I have a very roundabout way on how I ended up in treatment, and a lot of forces that I think are, are really important came into effect. Like I went to a, a wonderful detoxification center. Uh, I ended up doing a stop court at the end. I did two years inpatient, harm reduction, syringe exchanges. So all of these people in my life, there's been a lot of people that helped me get to the point where I am today. And so in, in many ways, my book is not my story. It's my story plus the story of my parents, the story of the judge, the story of my counselors. Like it's, it's, it's a lot of people that came together to help me. And, uh, and it's like that for a lot of people like me. I've seen, I mean, there's 150 people probably sitting at the treatment center with very similar stories to mine as we speak. I decided to write a book because I, I wanted the challenge. Um, I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. I had no aspirations to be a writer. I, I, I failed, I failed English in high school because I was, I was doing lots of drugs and stopped going to class. And I, my teacher just gave me an F and I got kicked out of school, but I didn't base, I basically didn't have any sort of understanding of what it took to write a book. I just wanted to tell my story. And because I have like addictive thinking where if there's something I want, I'm going to get it. I just, I just went after it and I got on YouTube and I watched a bunch of author tube channels where people say like, okay, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And I kind of followed that path for a bit. Eventually I realized that I had to make a timeline. So I stopped. I did a bunch of research on myself because I was doing drugs for a very long time. And I put together a linear timeline of my story. And then I just, I got to writing and it was not good. It was not good to start. I, I didn't know how to, communicate emotions through writing. It wasn't a skill I had, but I just kept at it. I did like 40 revisions. And then when the time came to sell the book, no one wanted to touch it because <laughs> re recovery memoirs are such a difficult sell. So I didn't know this. I didn't write for commercial. Like there's people that write what people want to read. Like there's people that say like, what's hot or what do we think is going to be hot in a year? Okay. Like vampire. Okay. Probably not vampires, 
Sorry if you're writing a vampire. <laughs> but there's people that chase like what what readers want. And and that wasn't me. So I wrote this book and I thought it was great. And I sent it out to a bunch of agents and only a couple responded. Of those few, a very small percentage wanted to read what I had to say. And then the feedback I got was it was good, but I can't sell it. And so I did what I did. I did have one offer to publish. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm going to just say that, but I decided that it was probably best to, to, to self-publish and do it independently. And I, and I'm so grateful I did because I've, uh, I learned a lot for one, two, I found like the, I found a passion. I found something I didn't know I wanted to do, which was write and tell story and communicate, communicate lessons I've learned or others have taught me through writing. And it's, I'm, I tell you, man, stories are powerful, just like podcasts. Like someone could be listening to this in Egypt or, who knows? Like that's the same thing with the book. Your book can like, it's a live thing that goes out and, and can help people if, if that's what your book is about. And, and it's great. And then I'm super humbled that it won best book of the year, which was crazy to think that a mental health memoir won best book of the year, like beat out all genres from a, a book awards contest at Indies today. I think that I also think that it's kind of sad because Part of me thinks that in the past it's gone to fantasy and romance and, and those sort of genres. And this year it went to mental health, which is a book, my book addressing the opioid crisis. And that's kind of tainted with the fact that 2020 was a horrible year for so many people. I mean, the numbers and overdoses in like Portland went up 300%. It was the worst year ever. So many people went back to using and while I'm happy my book was well-received, it also comes with sort of like, that's that many people wanting to learn about opioid addiction and recovery. And that's, there's some sadness to that too, you know, because a lot of people want to learn about it because it's impacting them negatively, which I guess it goes both ways. You can't have, you can't have a, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. This, uh, this, this last year has been really crazy. Um, and, and you're, you're right. I know it, it went up, uh, quite a bit in, I think in San Francisco, there was a, um, there was a statistic that, uh, I think there was 600, uh, opioid deaths or, or overdoses in San Francisco. And there was only like maybe 187 deaths from COVID. So, you know, it's like, yeah. right, well, what, what are we, what are we focusing on? You know, something, there's something wrong here. And yeah, I, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. It's uh it's fine. There's probably a little bit of a lag. Um, yeah, I know that my, my friend Haven who runs a needle exchange had to scramble to get, get claimed as an essential business. And she did, but you know, she, she tells me, she's like, I've seen people come returning to using that are former clients that I haven't seen in five, six, 10 years. And, and, and old, I mean, she's been doing it for two decades. And so she knows a lot of these people. She's the only exchange I think in Portland and yeah, people return to using. I've had a few friends die. I've had, I mean, like I said, life goes on or doesn't and it, and that, and, and that's not going to change. Um, it's sad. I mean, there's fallout. There's fallout all around. This is like one one aspect of life. There's people out there that are shuttered their doors and lost their business, and and that's that's horrible too. I mean, it's it's not. It hasn't been easy on anyone. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. 
So of you, of the people that you've uh, met in treatment or become friends with since you've left, have any of them gone back out? Yeah. Yeah. And have you, were you close with any of them? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I have like, I have, I have boundaries, right? I, I have no, I have no business hanging out with someone in active addiction. Like I, 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 I really don't. And, but it's, it's hard because you, you like build these relationships with people and they're your friends. I mean, they're like, your are it, it's like your war buddies almost, you know, like mm. you've gone through some stuff with these guys. And so it's really heartbreaking when people go back to using, but um, like I wrote in my afterwards, like I have to, I have no choice, but to celebrate the outliers, there's always going to be people that make that decision and that's on them. And, uh, and that's, that's not really my, my business. I just, I have, I, I have to do what I do and, and that's how it has to be. There's not much leeway in, in that regards, but it, it sucks, you know, um, at my family business, which I recently left, we used to hire from the program. So I went through the program. They hired me, even though I'm the son, like I still went and applied and I had to get interviewed. Um, and since then I've moved my way up. And when I was still there, we were hiring new clients. We were hiring new employees from the program. And it felt like giving back in a way, because here we are like me and some other guys that got hired about the same time as me that are kind of like have been doing it for a while and we get to help others but we also had like a really clear cut boundary. And that's if, um, if someone relapses when they're employed with us, they, they can't stay with us. And it, and it's, it was, it was, it was sticky because it's, it's kind of like, well, it's not, you can't fire someone for drinking alcohol in the real world. Like that's legal. It's not mm-hmm. like, but we just like had that agreement with a lot of people and it was tough. It was really expensive. And the credit goes to my parents because they kind of ate that they ate all the, the, the value and money that they put in the training these people and they st- stood firm with like that. And it, it helped the people that were doing the right thing continue to do the right thing. I believe because everyone knew like myself included, we weren't exempt from losing our job if we chose to basically throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, is this light flickering in the back or is it my computer screen? I don't know. I, I see I see it going in and out. I don't know if it's the light or right. or, or what it is. I just I haven't really been paying too much attention okay, to it. Okay, cool. We're good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see you. Hey, I, I've had an interview where it was kind of dark around and I could barely see the guy. Uh I was like, Hey, <laughs> it, it, I'm like, do you, do you got any more light? I mean, can you <laughs> and he's like, Well, if I did do that, it's you know, glare and I'm like, never mind, let's just roll. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll I'll get over it. Yeah, <laughs> awesome man. That was that was great. Uh, uh, let me see what what else can I think of? Um, I don't know. So, tell me a little bit about where you're where you're headed. Um, you got the you got this book out. We you know yeah. you talked about maybe doing another one or going into another direction. Yeah. Um, what's uh what what's in store for Jordan? Okay, so I I'm I think I'm really fortunate that my book has been well received. I'm the fact that it won an award has been very useful and helpful in getting my book out there. I've also had people that know me and my story invite me to do things that really push me out of my comfort zone 
for example, I gave a motivational talk. Like I, I'm such an introvert to think that I gave a, a motivational talk at, at an annual behavioral health summit is is kind of mind boggling because it, it, it was really uncomfortable to do it. But people wanted to hear what I had to say because they wanted that viewpoint from a client that went through a program. And I'm, I was more than happy. You know, I have this thing like if someone wants to if there's an opportunity about where I can help others, I don't say no just because I'm I have personal fears or issues. I'm not going to turn down something because of that. I think it's in many ways bigger than me. I am. I, I did like I, like I said, I, I, I left my job as crazy as that sounds to pursue this dream of mine. And that's to basically to write, to help others. I started a recovery YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com slash one hit away. And I really found that as introverted as I feel talking about recovery and some of the, the issues that go, go on with, with addicts and recovery, it's, it's really rewarding. And I, and that's something that I think I wanted in life was to, to do something where I really feel like I'm adding value and giving back. I'm, you have to temper that with the fact that my program Sand Island treatment center is a closed group. So you can't go there and sit in on the meeting. So I got sober in a place where it was only Sand Island Ohana. And so this is like bringing me out kind of into the, into like the world to talk about some things, which was hard to wrap my head around to begin with, but I really like it. So yeah, I'm starting another, I started the recovery YouTube channel. I really enjoy that. I've started a second book. It's going to, it's a novel. It's about uh, syringe exchange and it's basically focusing on harm reduction and a lot of the issues and ethical and moral dilemmas that go on with the people and the places dealing with addicts and their thinking and their logic and their reasoning for why they do what they do. And I think it's going to educate and enlighten a lot of people to see another perspective. And, and that's it. I'm really just kind of, I'm going after it. I'm, I feel like you got one shot and I want to kind of like keep this momentum going. And I'm just really fortunate to think that people want to read what I have to say or hear what I have to say. It's, it's really cool. And, uh, and then I'm making great connections and meeting new people and, you know, expanding my audience and hopefully expanding other people's audiences as well. And, and I'm going to try it. I mean, worst case I can always get another job. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's plenty of the, there's plenty of those going around, uh, especially working from home stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I know that that's that's definitely jumped up there. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs, but you know, there's a lot more that are uh, companies, bigger companies, are realizing the value of having people working from home and not spending yeah. as much money on their overhead. footprint on their footprint and the yeah. overhead that that you know is attached to that. Yeah. It's not good for me in my industry because, you know, I, I, I'm part of the commercial, uh, construction industry. So new construction mm-hmm. is really kind of our bread and butter and what we, we look for. But, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to take a dive here, um, soon, you know, because we don't, we don't really know. I mean, I, I still feel like we haven't really felt the full effects of what, what happened you know, when it comes to the shutdowns and everything else. So uh, hopefully I'm wrong. I, I really hope I'm wrong, but I don't, somehow I don't feel like I am. Yeah. But, who knows, right? Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll watch this. We'll watch this in a, 
in a year from now and we'll see. <laughs> like, ah, yeah, you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's quick, make some predictions. <laughs> All right, so let's move over to the uh to your book suggestion. Uh Papi- Papillon. Papillon. <laughs> you by... just offended you just offended the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna take it's it's Papillon by Henri Chéry. You know, I'm not going to tell you wrong. I th- yeah, it sounds right. It sounds yeah. right. Sounds French. Sounds French. Sounds about right. Um, yeah, that that book was that book. You know, this book. I love this book, and it makes me really sad to anytime I think about it. So when I was strung out and homeless, my brother, the one who passed away, um, who always looked out for me, sent me this book. And he he had it delivered by friend like a carrier a courier friend who like found me and gave it to me and it with a, a message and it was and it was like you need to read this book and that's not to get off topic but that's another reason why I wrote my book is because when I was homeless I didn't have a phone all I did was read and I found the value in 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 I, I, my whole life I read but never more so than when I was on the streets because I had nothing else to do so I read this book a couple times and. I was just I was just floored because it's a story of one man basically being falsely incarcerated, right? And he gets sent to like hard labor in in, in like old world France, and uh, he basically just like because he's innocent, he never gives up trying to escape. And there were so many parallels to my story and this because I just felt like you have to escape, like your life is on the line. Like this guy, if he didn't do anything, he was gonna die in a camp, basically he was going to be worked to death and, and he wasn't going to accept that he was going to like fight for a way out. And if you haven't read this book, I can't honestly don't read my book, (laughs) read this book. This book is, this book changed my life. And so while I think my book was, is good, this book was great. Now maybe I'm biased and maybe I have a personal attachment to it. I probably do since, uh, since, since, since what I just said, but it was, it was fascinating and I'm not going to give the story away. (laughs) <laughs> as much as I want to, but is it was it's a beautiful book and it just it blew my mind because humans can be tenacious. We can be the the people that don't ever give up. There's a lot to be said for for those sort of characters, and that was someone that I eventually envisioned myself as uh, in treatment. Like I would I would imagine I would have like dates. I don't want to get too weird, but I would like picture myself like <laughs> never giving up and like being like this man living it was just it was it was really cool i internalized that and um i definitely suggest it but awesome we're gonna move to your podcast suggestions uh you one of my very favorite joe rogan that's who i've listened to religiously for two years straight and that's kind of you know how i ended up down the podcasting path um what how was how was he uh impactful for you well you know when i when I first got, when I first got sober, it was much like you said, like you have to, or at least for me, I had to learn, honestly, I, I had to learn how to speak again. I learned, had to learn how to talk. I had to learn how to project and not be like so timid and, and like shuttered up. So many aspects of my life, I had to rebuild from the ground up. I had to pursue hobbies. I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And that took a lot of time. That took a lot of energy and a lot of money. There were so many things that I thought I could do now that I was clean and sober that I was just chasing hobbies. I wanted to figure out healthy hobbies. And I mean, every 
you name it, I probably tried it and I, I threw a lot of money away or maybe it wasn't throwing money away because eventually I found what I really liked. And um, I, we talked a bit about uh, how I built a sensory deprivation tank. That was because I was looking to explore more of my subconscious and, and what what I was hiding from myself. And it was a, a valuable tool. Like I said, we need all the tools we, we have. And, and I thought that that was a healthy tool and there was no float tanks or float centers here in the state. And so I did what any rational human would do. And I went and I built my own <laughs> and I, and, and that was great. And it, and it, and it served its purpose and it, and it taught me a lot and I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and you know, because of that, I just, I don't know. And I'm also really interested in lots of different things. Like I I'm always learning and I'm always, I always want to learn. And I love Rogan, how he just like brings on interesting people many times smarter than him and just lets them go because you learn so much from those conversations. And uh, it's not like background noise. You don't like put it on the, put it on, like go about your day. Like I, I, I listen to it and I really enjoy a lot of um, what he has. And then Dave Ramsey, uh, his was a little more interesting. It's uh, I put him down because I found him really helpful in my life when I, was starting to make money and I was starting to have a sizable income and I was starting to invest and build a 401k and I was starting to, I bought a home. I had all these responsibilities and I had no skills because I never listened as a kid on how to handle money responsibly. And I didn't know like what I didn't know. I didn't know the benefits of budgeting. For example, I didn't know that that could save me a lot of money. I also didn't know how much money I was wasting chasing chasing random spontaneous wants and needs. And so I put him down just because I learned a lot about uh, how to be financially uh, responsible. And uh, I, I found that that was really useful. Just one aspect of trying to rebuild and grow the life I wanted for myself. Um, I don't agree with everything he says, just like I don't agree with everything uh, Rogan says, but uh, I don't think anyone does. And I, just like recovery, take what you can and leave the rest. Take, take what works. That, that's probably the best skill out there. Take what you can, leave the rest. Don't like sweat it. Don't freak yourself out about it. Um, and try not to be so judgmental. No, that's great advice. Um, actually, uh, too many people are judgmental these days. Um, and, you know, don't want to just let people live their life. Right. You know, if you're not, yeah. if you're not harming anybody or yourself or, you know, inciting violence or, or any, any other of the, the, the cardinal rules now that we have, um, you know, you know, leave people be. Yeah. You know, when, when you vetted me for this show, I, 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 I heard that, I heard you say that basically like, if I'm all about recovery, like what is my, Am I gonna? Am I like a recovery Nazi? Am I gonna come like my way is the only way, which would do a lot more harm than good? Uh, and no, that's not. That's not. That's like the antithesis of what I, of like the style I learned. Now I will say, like I um, actually, I don't. We'll just, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> that's something else. I'll tell you after the show. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we're about 6.50 right now. If we're going to go to wind this one down and uh, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you and your book. So one thing I want to say is that everything that's, uh, that I've been flashing up here on the screen, all that is available in the description. If you're looking for Jordan's book, there is 
a link in the description, which that's more if you want a uh, signed copy of his book, than use the uh, the cart the big cartel link. Um, otherwise, uh, use the Amazon link. That one is a better one if you're just looking to to order the book itself, or I think and I think there's a uh, the e copy of it's like what a buck, something like that. Yeah, well, I went back up, but yeah, oh, I mean, I'm oh, gonna yeah. I, I'm gonna discount it again. Yeah, it's um. So my name is Jordan Barnes. Uh, my book is called One Hit Away: A Memoir of Recovery. It's available on Amazon, ebook, paperback, hardcover. It's also available on Audible. So if um, that works better for you. Go ahead and check out the audiobook. You can get a free sample. Uh, my YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com slash one hit away. And my website, you can find more information at www.jordanpbarnes.com. There we go. Yeah. And yeah, social media at Jordan underscore P underscore Barnes. And I want to reiterate sort of how we started this off. Go ahead and make sure to give this podcast a, a positive rating and review. As an author, I can attest there it's incredibly valuable. It's absolutely the best thing you can do to support uh, someone's cause, uh, a movement, or, or something. It's free to you, and uh, it, it definitely gives more exposure to this podcast, and I'm sure we would both be very grateful for that. Absolutely. And I, I get somebody, somebody had me, uh, oh, I'm not going to get into that part, but yeah, it, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, uh, it's, 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 sometimes it gets, gets frustrated. It's like, I, I got super obsessed with it at one point where it's like, yeah. it's, it's almost the easiest and the cheapest thing to do to be able to, to support uh, the show. I mean, if you're getting you know value out of the content, but it's also the hardest thing to get people to do. Which I don't, I, and and I started thinking about my own self, and I was like, all right, well, do you? Yeah, I do. I do go if I listen to somebody's show, I'll go and I'll and, I, and if I like it, I'll go and drop a review and a rating. Um, I don't like, I don't, I don't like the the rate, the review rev, swap reviews because I don't feel like that's genuine. Like if yeah. you if you don't listen to the show, then don't go and review it. You know, I don't, I don't want you to do that. I want you to, I want an honest opinion because that's how we get feedback on what we put out there. Right. If, yeah. if nobody's sending you emails and telling you about what you're doing or you're not hitting you up on social media or, or any like, like that, the next best thing for us to be able to get that feedback is through the reviews. Yeah. 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 And it, and it helps exposure for other people too. And so, People, they have an inclination to when they're upset or something really bothers them, they want to leave a bad review because they just like they feel wronged in some way. But there's not always that that incentive to be like, you know what, I enjoyed this. <laughs> like, let's take a moment out of our life. I think a lot of people are, are busy or I don't want to say selfish, but I, I think that that's not everyone's human nature is to give praise. Like we're much more inclined to point out what's wrong than to look at what's right. And we could probably talk about this all day <laughs> but we yeah, don't have yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right yeah. well that's all that we uh that's all that you got and uh everything else like you said all of his social media and and all that is available in the description uh, as well as my own uh my link tree is where you're going to be able to find everything and everywhere that the show is and how to support it um you know otherwise that uh yeah, and so I think this is my last one that I have scheduled for the week. I have one coming up this following Monday. 
what is that? Monday the oh, the eighth, which Maybe. is with with is a uh, Pat, which with Patrick Coat, and he is a progressive, um, a progressive party movement uh, person, and so I watched some of his stuff, and I was really interested in his takes on uh, what's going on, and so I thought I'd have him on and have him explain where he's at with the progressive party. It seems like everybody that I like is a progressive. Uh, so, and I, like, I'm not a party affiliate with anything, you know, I just, I think that, you know, right and left, they're both, uh, corrupt and, you know, they serve something other than the people. Uh, that's just my own personal opinion, but, uh, yeah, we're not here to talk about politics and, uh, I appreciate everybody for what you, uh, for, for watching the show, supporting the show, listening to me talk and and uh my guests and supporting that way always always a good thing man and jordan i definitely appreciate you reaching out and being on the show and being a guest and until next time uh hang out for a second i'm gonna go ahead and take us out of here i will see you guys next time thanks again You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.